from WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odestulet, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. A Baha'i Perspective is a radio program of biographical interviews of people who have either chosen the Baha'i faith as a way of life or who have a relationship with the Baha'i faith. Today, I'm playing a telephone interview with Robert Sapiro. Rob loved both sports and acting, but acting became his predominant interest growing up. Then the last few years in high school, he also discovered his enjoyment in painting. Rob went to the School of the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston, studying painting. During his last year there, he became very interested in poetry. After college, he discovered the inner comedian inside him. Rob describes how it was the Baha'i art of consultation that attracted him to the Baha'i faith. I started the interview by asking Rob where he grew up, and what was it like growing up there. Well, I grew up in uh Portland, Maine, primarily. I was actually born in Syracuse, New York, but lived there only for a brief time. You know, most of my childhood was, was in Portland. Growing up there was, that's a, that's a good question. It was it's always funny, you know, the only life I've had. So um, <laughs> <laughs> it, seemed like a, it seemed like a good place to grow up. It was a small city. I guess one important thing is I grew up as an only child up until the age of 13, my parents were divorced quite young, so I grew up with a single mother. I had kind of a little bit of an unusual experience. I don't know if it's unusual, but talking to other people over time, it seems maybe a little bit unusual experience. We didn't have all that much money, and at the same time, I went to a small private school. Actually, we had some relatives who helped fund that. Home life was <laughs> was pretty modest, and yet I was going to school with, with folks who had who had lots of lots of money and big houses and all this kind of thing. So I uh, became very conscious of... Your status. Well, I guess in retrospect, I became very conscious of class differences mm. and experiences, you know, with some of my friends when I'd play with after school versus my, my playmates at school. And what was religious life like for you growing up? I basically grew up uh, without religion. My mother had been uh, a Catholic growing up and had left the church. I only sort of had kind of antagonistic feelings towards uh, organized religion, I would guess I would say. My dad, who, who I didn't see all that often, but had grown up without anything because my, my grandfather was Jewish and my grandmother was, was Catholic. They formed a kind of a religious demilitarized zone where nobody practiced anything. You know, he's an atheist, grew up basically as an atheist. And then my mom was kind of open to a lot of different things, astrology and past lives and some of the New Age stuff. Although I remember so my early part of religious experience was very much atheistic, I guess. I remember I was about eight years old, and we went to this group of atheists, and I remember proudly saying that there was definitely no God and um, <laughs> winning some praise for that. And, uh, praise the Lord. <laughs> exactly. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise, no, praise not the Lord. <laughs> there is no Lord. Praise be that. Um, so that was pretty interesting. And then when I was uh, around 13 or so, 12 or 13, got involved in these 
psychic classes. And so I, I remember I took this class where I was trying to move paper with my mind and meditating to try and figure out what my past lives were and things like that. So it was pretty pretty eclectic. And I have actually have one group of relatives who were really into UFOs and whatnot. So, you know, the wonderful thing for me ultimately was that I was I was basically open to anything and willing to look at all kinds of possibilities. What were your interests growing up? Well, my interests growing up were a variety of things. And I think when I was a middle-aged kid, if you will, sort of <laughs> five, six, seven, eight, maybe even in, no, I guess even until like early teenage years, I was pretty excited about sports. But I was fairly small and, uh, you know, didn't uh, really find a sport that uh, was would kind of fit my uh, abilities, I guess. But but anyway, that was really was my big interest until I was about about 13 or 14. And I also, actually, I, I remember telling my uh, grandmother that I had three things that all began with A. <laughs> I wanted to be an actor, an athlete, and I'm forgetting the third one now. <laughs> I think partly, well, I mean, who knows why exactly, but those early years I ended up sort of watching a lot of television and, you know, because my mom was working and whatnot. So I was a big consumer of, <laughs> of media, mm-hmm. as most people are, I suppose. So did you do any acting in high school or anything? Yeah, I did actually end up doing some acting in high school. And that was kind of a, a sort of the switch that happened. We moved to the Boston area when I was 13. And I went to a new high school, and it was a little bit of an alternative high school. It was kind of a a prep school that met the the late 1960s. So it was heavy emphasis on the arts and less emphasis on sports. <laughs> so that was probably a big influence on my switch. Um, and uh, actually, we had we had a physical awareness department instead of a sports department, which is <laughs> kind of amusing. But. Um, but anyway, it was then I actually switched from doing sports to doing some theater. So I did theater for a couple of years there. Yes, I guess I did both those things. So what did you do after high school? What happened in, in the middle of high school, or I guess maybe my junior year, I took my first painting class. Again, I was sort of at this arts school that had a heavy emphasis in the arts, and I was required to take a painting class, which I very begrudgingly took and discovered in the middle of it that I really loved doing it, uh, much to my surprise, really. So for the last two years of, of high school, I really began to focus on painting and photography, and I ended up going to, deciding to go to art school. So I went to the uh, School of the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston. They have a, a program that's combined with Tufts University, so I, I actually spent four full years doing painting. That was my college <laughs> experience. But I also, as I said, got a degree with, with Tufts, so I had to do some academic work as well. And towards the, my last year, I actually became really, really interested in writing poetry. <laughs> and of my various career aspirations, I was, I was kind of most excited about that because there was absolutely no way I would ever be able to earn a living being a poet. <laughs> so I didn't have to worry about that pressure. With painting, there was this you know, possibility you could become widely known and actually earn, an, earn your livelihood. But with poetry, there was, no, <laughs> there was never that worry. And then around the same time, or maybe within a year or so uh, uh, after graduating from school, I got together with some friends, and we did this exercise where we 
we're supposed to write down three things we've always wanted to do but never thought we would and then and then look at it in six months or a year or something. And my friend said, oh, what did you write down? And so I told him that I was interested in doing stand-up comedy. Where, where, well, I don't know, fortunately or unfortunately, <laughs> uh, he was doing stand-up comedy at the time. So about a week or two later, he dragged me to an open mic night. I had my first experience on stage, which no, actually did, to me seemed to go quite well. <laughs> but unfortunately, I recorded it, so I know that that wasn't the case. But, so, uh, so, Rob, where did that come from? Well, I think I think the the comedy I was <laughs> I think it came from two places maybe. One was I think, you know, obviously, you know, spending my uh, many waking hours watching television was a big influence. And I think I when I was probably I don't know the exact age, maybe 9, 10, 11, some, somewhere in there was when uh the show Mork and Mindy was popular and and Robin Williams first sort of made it into the scene and I just was I was really taken by by his style of humor at the time. So I think <laughs> when I trace back, people are always like, well, who are your favorite comics and things like that? And I, I'm never quite sure how to answer that question, but when I trace back sort of where my sense of humor comes from, I think it's sort of a combination of, of that along with uh, Warner Brothers cartoons and Sesame Street, I think would be <laughs> what happened to me. Uh, maybe Mad Magazine thrown in. So, yeah, I think it was really, I had this one uh, comedy album of, of Robin Williams, Reality, What a Concept, which I used to listen to over and over again. Um, and so I think that that's kind of what sort of inspired me to to want to do it. But I didn't, I had no intention of actually doing it at all until my friend said, okay, you're going to go on stage now. So what happened after your first gig? Well, after the first, after the first time, I mean, like I said, I, I really thought I had done fine and I listened to the. I listened to the tape, and it was quite dreadful. But I really, it was quite a, an ex- I mean, still it was quite an exhilarating experience. And I just couldn't couldn't quite resist it. So I did for maybe a year or so after that, I would go to some open mics. And, and you know, and I tried, tried things out. Didn't get all that far with it. At that point, it was still, this is the uh, early 90s. So there was actually a, a, a big comedy scene in Boston at that point. You know, there were places that you could try stuff out, and there were lots of comics around and whatnot. And then I forget how long. I took a little hiatus and then somehow got drawn back into it. I've done that, I guess, three or four times now. You know, staying away for a few years and then <laughs> and then coming back. So. so what was your day job when you were doing that initially? What I ended up doing um, for... What they, what they pay me for is uh, I've, I've done sort of two big things in, in my in my career as it is. The first was when I was was in still in school. I had taken a part time job at a copy shop. It was actually a, a, a company that focused on copying services for architects and engineers. And so I decided to stay for the summer. And then after ten years, <laughs> I decided the summer was over, and finally left. And I I did all kinds of things there. I did customer service and marketing and learned uh, a lot about sort of general business practices and, and things. And then I uh, was really looking to kind of get out of that environment because, uh, you know, things kept on getting new positions in the same company and things were working out pretty well. But I was also working really long hours and, um, you know, it really wasn't feeding my creative <laughs> creative side at all. And so... Uh, I was starting to look for for work, and I had 
a friend whose brother had a small business, which at that point was about six people, a small consulting company, and they were kind of looking for a, a business manager at, at that point. But they also wanted kind of somebody they knew and trusted and whatnot. So I ended up doing that starting about nine years ago. And so I've been doing that role as a business manager for this company since 2000, I guess. So coming up on a 10-year. At what point did you run into the Baha'i faith? Well, the Baha'i faith ended up appearing <laughs> appearing in my life through kind of a funny set of circumstances. My wife and I, when our uh, our daughter was born, we were, uh, at that point, both had become very interested in spiritual matters and both had developed on our own sort of a prayer life of, of sorts. Even you? Were kind of, you too? Yeah, me too. Well, I, I how, did that, how, how did that transition occur from sort of growing up as a, an atheist slash... You know, astrologer slash. Right. Uh, how did well, that, that trish, Yeah. Well, I think there were there were a couple of things that that happened along the way. One is that my kind of interest in exploring, you know, these other possibilities of the world, led me to sort of believing in some sort of spiritual life, and so that was one one thing. I sort of really I really began to to think about that a lot, and and began to uh, also kind of experiment a little bit with, or, or just kind of read about and, and listen to people who are sort of engaged in various kinds of spiritual practices, some Buddhists and, and some other folks. And so I really began to, to believe in a spiritual world, and I began partly, partly because my wife also really had a strong belief in God, or had a, had a belief in God, and it really got me sort of wondering about that. And then I think what kind of a big turning point was actually I had some pretty challenging circumstances happening in my life, and I actually began to have a friend suggest that I try praying <laughs> as a way to try and address some of these things. And I, I actually found, began to find some sense of relief, and, and actually my own behavior change when I prayed, <laughs> and that really became a, a kind of a, a big deal. So I, I really began to sort of incorporate some sort of spiritual practice in my life. So I was really interested in these matters. I remember just just before this time, we had uh, maybe yeah maybe a couple of years before I there was this fellow Joseph Campbell who people probably have heard of who you know these stories about heroes and sort of spiritual paths and things and really sort of exploring how all these different themes kept happening in different religions. So I really was open to all these different different religions. So my wife and I were both interested in in general in these things. We didn't even really feel like we needed a place to belong in terms of a particular religion, and very much around other folks who were considered themselves spiritual but not religious. But interestingly enough, we, <laughs> my wife uh, had really had a, when she was growing up, she had an attachment to, to her godparents. She'd, you know, grown up Catholic, and so she had godparents who were meaningful in her life. And so when our daughter was born, we really wanted to have godparents. So we, we set off in this search to figure out who to actually uh, have be, be your godparents. One of our friends, we had this big, long talk. We stayed up late in the night, you know, wondering about the meaning of life. And, and, uh, and our friend said, basically, that she didn't believe in God uh, and that she never would. And that was kind of her, <laughs> the way we ended it. And we we're both like, but you should, you know. So it was kind of a strange thing. But for some reason, the next morning we asked her, 
to be our daughter's godmother, which <laughs> didn't make a lot of sense. But about a year and a half or two years later, our friend actually became a Baha'i. <laughs> Not only did she believe in God, she she uh, decided to uh, she found the Baha'i faith. Did so, she, did she, Rob, did she explain how she made such a transition? Well, you know, I actually don't know quite what happened there, to be honest with you. Because we were actually a little, it was, it was funny, we sort of asked her to be our daughter's godmother, and then we sort of ended up losing touch for a, a while, a year or more. So we don't really know know what happened in the intervening time. So I don't know quite how she shifted, but we're awfully glad she did. <laughs> so what happened after that was she introduced us to the Baha'i faith and some other Baha'is and some of the, the writings of the Baha'i faith. It was very interesting because, like I said, I was, I was really in a place where I was curious about these things, but I, I had no sense of feeling like I needed to choose anything or become part of anything and in fact was sort of a little wary of that. So, you know, I first started interacting with Baha'is and, you know, talking with them, and, you know, I really liked almost everything I heard, but it really didn't it seem like uh, a good thing. <laughs> but I didn't have any sense of feeling like I needed to, to come part of, part of it necessarily beyond hanging around. And my, my wife actually <laughs> went, <laughs> made a very quick, a quick and surprising change. She had, she actually said to me about two weeks before she became a Baha'i that she would never become a Baha'i. I was like, sure, that's fine. She ended up going to a gathering where the life of Baha'u'llah was described. Baha'u'llah being the prophet founder of the Baha'i faith. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. So when she heard about about his life, you know, she was moved <laughs> that very time. She realized that she, that she really wanted to uh, be part of that all of a sudden. And so, it came as quite, quite a shock and surprise to me. Rob, I have a question. Yeah. What was it about Baha'u'llah's life that moved her? I think it was, a, it was a number of things. But I think the, most, the thing that she sort of highlights most was when she had been uh, exploring some, some particular things. She had, been, she had gone to a couple of retreats with a guru and some other things. And what she had been sensing in all these places is that they were all places where this self was very much emphasized. You can improve yourself, and this is going to help you, and, and all of this. And what she sensed there was that she could really be part of something. She could really contribute herself, but it wasn't, she wasn't going to be the center of it. It wasn't about her feeling better, her feeling better than others, or things like that. Like, she could explain it better than I, but there was just really this moment where she felt like, oh, she really wanted to be part of this larger process. Like I say, it was quite a shock to me. You know, I hadn't expected it. And, you know, she came back and said, well, you know, now I've, I'm a Baha'i and so is our daughter. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but, Rob, I just don't have the connection. You were sure, saying sure. that she was studying other movements or religions or something. Yeah. And there was something that she didn't feel a part of. But what was it about Baha'u'llah's life? That moved her. I mean, I didn't get the connection of... Yeah, no, no. I think, you know, and I, when I describe it, I'm not, I'm not sure I really can. I may have yeah. to actually ask her again because okay. I just know that there was some combination of really hearing about the suffering that he experienced and the vision that he brought for what the world could become and what, what could be built from it that somehow propelled her heart. But I guess I'll, <laughs> I'm going to now have to ask her. <laughs> So she returned, and, and after that meeting, she said, oh, by the way, 
me and my daughter. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So what was your reaction? Well, I was quite surprised. It was actually a challenging time in our relationship. We'd we'd gotten married very young, and it was we were having you know running into some some problems, and so it sort of combined with that, it was quite (laughs) it was initially a bit off putting. But what happened after that was really interesting because she, she, you know, went along on her path. One of the tools that's a really big part of the Baha'i Faith is consultation, you know, and coming together and and really uh, exploring in a very open way and searching for truth together. She asked if I would come meet with her and a, few, a couple of Baha'is and I had brought a friend of uh, another friend of mine just to consult about some of the challenges we were having together in our married life. And how did um, you feel about such a proposal? Well, I was at first I was I was very skeptical, honestly, and I was a little bit nervous. And I didn't thought, oh, geez, are they going to try and convert me, or you know, are they going to try and you know push a certain point of view, you know, or this kind of thing. And I, I think what happened in those consultations was very very moving and very powerful for me because there was none of that. <laughs> you know, it was it was truly uh, a very pure and open-hearted <laughs> um, offer of service that this, this particular family did for us, and they were really interested in getting to the, the truth <laughs> of, of the matter and, and looking at our challenges and seeing ways that we could help each other. And I didn't feel any of that pressure, you know, that I expected initially. It ended up being both tremendously helpful for our marriage and gave us a way to kind of heal some things that we really needed healed. And it also really, for me as an individual, gave gave me a whole different seeing these principles of the Baha'i faith actually put into action. It was such a, it felt so generous of this family to take the time and effort to so openly and lovingly talk with me <laughs> and with her that it made a really profound, profound impression. And then I think what, what happened next on my journey was I began to, to notice a couple of things. When I, when I got together with, with Baha'is and, and heard, heard writings that, uh, from Baha'u'llah, I, just had, I came away with a very, really positive, happy feeling <laughs> um, when I did that. And so I began to really want to experience more of that regularly. And then there was, back in 1992, there was a gathering of Baha'is from around the world called the World Congress. And... My wife, Eleanor, went to it. It was in New York City, and I was taking care of our daughter. And there was what may seem, I don't know, it, it, it was very very important to me at the time. There was coverage uh, of this World Congress on, on national public radio. So he, hearing that it was a, that this Baha'i faith was something real that was being covered by, by NPR made it seem, I don't know, for lack of a better word, it made it seem real, you know, because I had pretty much only heard heard about the Baha'i faith from other Baha'is. So that had a, that had a very in, a powerful effect on me as well, to hear this, the way it was being described, and it was a long, a long radio piece. And there was, there was a woman on there who was interviewed who said that she um, uh, investigated the Baha'i faith for two years before she you know, decided that she wanted to join. So I decided I was going to do the same thing. But it turned out I only made it for about two months because um, I was already actually uh, already really believed in it. It's always a little bit hard to explain sort of the the day that I decided to become a Baha'i because I, I had been going through and sort of asking more questions and there were particular things I wanted to know 
gee, you know, what's what's the high view of this and that? And but the the day that I actually realized um, was it was completely a a spiritual feeling. I woke up in the morning and I just I just felt like that was that was the right thing. But I but I had a very funny experience because that was a day that I couldn't get a hold of any Baha'is. I had this family who had been so uh, wonderful. That was the only time they had ever said, uh, when I had called up and said, could I come over, that they said, no, <laughs> you can't come over today. And I was like, oh, okay. And so I ended up deciding to, uh, you know, become a Baha'i uh, on my own. And, it, and, it, and that felt actually for me really important because since it was really a decision between me and God, it really felt important to have that moment where I decided to do that without anybody else there. What were some of the questions that you had that you were asking the Baha'is? Well, I think the big, the big questions I had um, that I was asking sort of leading up to that were, you know, sort of about some of the Baha'i laws and what Baha'is were asked to do or not to do. And coming from the background that I did, the idea of, you know, agreeing to do or not do something beyond, <laughs> beyond whether I wanted to or not <laughs> was a bit foreign to me. And so I was very curious about what those things were. And then, you know, I think partly the answers to that came, you know, with most of the things being things about, you know, prayer and, and, and acts that were I was really only responsible for myself between me and God, then it, I became quite comfortable with it. And do you remember some of the laws that you asked about and the answer that was provided? I think I had asked, you know, a bunch of things along the way about prayer and, and fasting was a big was one of the big ones that uh, you know it was very noticeable which i was curious about and didn't didn't understand at first and then i think there was a a moment when i i knew that there was this book that <laughs> a book of laws that i had to read so i remember asking my friend very much for that you know where's this book of laws not drinking alcohol for example that's something i had already decided not to do for myself so i felt very comfortable with that already so most of the things, I think, weren't so much questions. I just, I was partly, I think my investigation was to make sure there wasn't some other hidden hidden thing that I didn't know about, and it turned out there wasn't. So what is the Baha'i Fast, Rob? Well, the Baha'i Fast is a, is a period of 19 days where Baha'is are asked to, to not eat from uh, while the light is out, basically, from, from sunrise to sunset. So there's no food or drink during that period, and it's really a time of prayer and meditation and really strong remembrance of God through this outward act of refraining from food and drink. You know, I think when I first heard about it, I, I just didn't... <laughs> I, had, I don't think I had actually even heard about the idea of fasting before I started talking to Baha'is. You know, I was a little bit confused by it. <laughs> um, and I think it was really in those first couple of, of times when I did it that I discovered for what for me is a really powerful and wonderful time of the year where I, I really feel um, my focus on God and on my building my trust in God um, is really strong. Did you ever do stand-up while you were uh, a, a Baha'i? Yeah, I have done stand-up while I was a, a Baha'i. Uh, most, actually, I think pretty mo- much most, well, actually not. The, the first couple of years I did it, I wasn't. And it was actually kind of a, it's kind of an interesting uh, a challenge in a way because there are certainly some topics that are fairly common in comedy clubs that I would now avoid. I think so. I think you know, especially being in an environment you know where 
mostly it's taking place in bars, and drinking is kind of one of the main occupations of what's going on. It can be at times a little bit strange. And I think, you know, my comedy act has always stood out a little bit in that, you know, even before I was a Baha'i, I wasn't really swearing or talking about certain subjects. Subject, so it's uh, it's always been a little bit different than the other comedians around me. And have you ever weaved the Baha'i faith or religion into your stand-up routine? Well, you know that's something I haven't quite. I've, I have weaved uh, a little bit of religion into into my act, but I haven't quite figured out how to really have uh, the Baha'i faith as part of my comedy yet. It's one of the things I want to do, and I think part of it is because I've still it's. It's something that's so precious and meaningful to me that I I want to, you know, I feel a little bit uh, guarded about doing it. But I certainly talk a little bit about my my kind of interesting pre-Baha'i religious experiences, or if you want to call them that. How would you say the Baha'i faith changed the direction of your life? It's an interesting question. I think it's so fundamentally changed the course of my life in many ways that it's hard to almost describe. It's a little bit like you know, a fish describing water. But, you know, I think the big thing for me was that it allowed me to, um, you know, particularly in my marriage, to be able to find a basis of unity. And so it was really fundamental towards our being able to uh, continue to be married and quite happy being married. And so I think that that's one really, really fundamental thing. You know, I think when I look uh, over the course of the possibilities <laughs> of my life and even the direction that some of my friends went, you know, from high school. I feel like it's something that's really given me a fundamentally positive outlook on life and um, given me a f- fundamentally positive path to follow and really given me a deep sense of hope about not only my own life but <laughs> about possibility of my community life and, and even humanities life as a whole. So I feel like that that's, you know, really probably the biggest thing. I I just feel like, you know, the other thing that sort of occurs to me is just it really has given me a sense of balance and a sense of purpose. We can only conjecture, I guess, about what what would happen if we took other paths, but I really feel like it's it's been. How would you say that it brought you hope for humanity? There's two two main ways. One is, like I had sort of you know said earlier, is on a very sort of fundamental level to be able to see my family life, which could have gone a very different direction, become fundamentally unified. And then I think sort of in terms of having friends in the Baha'i community of very very different backgrounds, you know, different countries, different experiences, and really being able to be together with them, and uh, often in a very deep, spiritual, <laughs> intimate way, really made me see that people of very different different perspectives could, could be together and not only sort of tolerate each other, <laughs> which is sometimes what we do, but really love each other. So that, you know, sort of in my, my own interpersonal experience has felt very positive. And then I, I, I think the other part is that I can see how these elements can work not only at my personal and interpersonal level, at the commu- at the sort of local community level, but I begin, I've begun to get a glimpse of, of how that could happen, you know, at a much larger scale as people embrace these principles. So I feel like that's where my, my hope for humanity <laughs> comes, is seeing, oh, people actually 
can actually come together in a unified and loving way. Rob, is there anything you haven't done yet that you still want to do? That's a very good question. There are a lot of things, <laughs> a lot of things that I would that I'd like to do. I really still with with the comedy that I've done. I, I really want to be able to bring it together at a, a slightly higher level than I've been able to before, and really put it together with a either a one man show or a, or a small two or three person show to explore different themes in a humorous way, but also bring in some more serious themes. So that's I think one thing that I really I'm interested in doing. I still want to uh, be able to uh, get back to some of the uh, creating pictures, both in terms of photography and painting, that I had started out earlier in my life and hadn't haven't really been able, haven't chosen to give as much attention to. So it's just kind of artistic expression that I still would like to do. Yeah, I think there's. I mean, there's <laughs> there's a lot more in terms of, you know, I have a little a little boy who's four now, so. <laughs> Spending more time with him and seeing him grow up is a big thing. So, Rob, thank you so much for telling your story. Oh, well, thank you so much for inviting me. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Rob Sapiro, a Baha'i from the Boston area who has found within himself a multitude of inner talents that include acting, poetry, painting, and stand-up comedy. For a copy of this and other programs, you can go to the website www.abahaiperspective.com. For information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you can go to the website www.baha'i.org or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you'll join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective. Righteousness is weak and faints, and unrighteousness exalts in pride. Then my spirit arises on earth. For the salvation of those who are good, for the destruction of evil in men, for the fulfillment of the kingdom of righteousness, I come to this world. From age to age. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice, from henceforth, even forever. Oh,
1,200 and some years have passed from the inception of the religion of the Arabian and the overthrow of the kingdom of Iran and the degradation of the followers of my religion, a descendant of the Iranian kings will be raised up as a prophet. shall I be the last. In due time, another Buddha will arise in the world, a holy one, a supremely enlightened one, endowed with wisdom in conduct, auspicious, knowing the universe, an incomparable leader of men, a master of angels and mortals. He will reveal to you the same eternal truths which I have taught you. He will preach his religion, glorious at the goal, in the spirit and in the letter. He will proclaim a religious life, holy, perfect, and pure, such as I now proclaim. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, God says, God is the light of the heavens and the earth. His light is like a niche in which is a lamp, the lamp encased in glass, the glass as it were a brilliant star, lit from a blessed tree, an olive, of neither the east nor of the west, whose oil is beginning to burst into light, though no fire has touched it. 
light upon light, God guideth whomsoever he willeth to his light, and of all things God is knowing. world when I was asked to represent the Americas in a big unity extravaganza concert that was held in London and I decided I wanted to write that song in a very typically Trinidadian calypso style which is a major it forms a major part of my Trinidadian roots and the song really encapsulates uh, the fact that I believe that there's only one God one universal religion and one human race and that's the core of the song really. No shoe and nothing to eat All for the sake of land and greed I fall in ay 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 Just give me one God, one religion, one human Differences we reject At the end of the day we gonna have to pay Yes, my brother and my sister and we fighting over one God
bless the Lord at all times. For in the presence of this holiness, spirits are filled. When the praises go up, the blessings will come down. So with our praises, we will dance and sing and let you know our God is real. Beloved of all things in my sight is justice. 
turn not away therefrom if thou desirest me, and neglect it not that I may confide in thee. By its aid thou shalt see with thine own eyes, and not through the eyes of others, and shalt know of thine own knowledge, and not through the knowledge of thy neighbor. Ponder this in thy heart, how it behooveth thee to be. Verily justice is my gift to thee, and the sign of my loving kindness. Set it then before thine eyes. This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station, streaming at www.valleyfreeradio.org.